Ron and Anian. Monitors are self-tests. So, you know, think about it like this. When you get up in the morning, you go through your process. You, you brush your teeth, you take a shower, and so on. That's your self-test every day. Oh, Lord, please don't let me be misunderstood. The Car Doctor. The one morning you forget to put the cap back on the toothpaste tube, and you're supposed to, you completed the task, but you failed the test. And that's just what a monitor does. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, welcome, Ron and the Car Doctor. Come on in, have a seat. Let's talk about your car and its problem here at 855-560-9900. Let me do that again, 855-560-9900. That's the Car Doctor's 24-7 number here all the time because you can leave a message at 855-560-9900 and give us a call if we're on the air. We're live out on the network Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. And if we're not, you can leave a message at 855-560-9900, and Fast Harry, our executive producer, will call you back and get you in the lineup for the next time the show is out on the airways, and we can talk to you about your car problem. More information about this radio show at cardoctorshow.com. There's also a Facebook page for those of you that are into the social media, Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor. Uh, matter of fact, we're doing a deal if you go out to Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor, like the Car Doctor page. Put a question up in the uh, section there for questions. If we use your question on air, we do a little segment each hour now going forward for the rest of the year. We've made that commitment to you that we're going to uh, be giving away a Car Doctor T-shirt each and every hour of this broadcast. So you want to stay tuned. That comes up a little bit later on in the hour as we read that Facebook question and give you the answer. And then post it up on Facebook along with videos and the YouTube channel. And we're just expanding uh, everything that we do to give you more information across the social medias. And if you notice the YouTube stuff, we're starting to make it more of how to, why not, how this works, how that works, what you can do to repair that particular problem as instances come up. If you recall last week, if you were listening, Walt called from Maui, Hawaii, and he had some questions about how to use a power probe for his uh, power probe tester, the electro tester. Just so happened this week at the shop, I had in a... Uh, what was it, an 89 Nissan Maxima that had a problem with a canister vent solenoid, 88 or 89, I forget which, and I was using my power probe to test it. We shot a real quick impromptu video, and we'll hope to get that edited and up in the next couple of days so that you can see that. And, Walt, when you get this on the podcast, just go look for it on the YouTube channel or the Facebook page. It'll be in one or the other. Uh, more information if you're looking for podcasts, speaking of which, on this radio show. There are podcasts at cardoctorshow.com. There's also an affiliate list at tunein.com. And if you just go to our face, if you go to our website, cardoctorshow.com, you can go there. You can get links to TuneIn as well as iHeart and iTunes where you can subscribe and the podcasts automatically come to your inbox and you can take the Car Doctor with you wherever you want to go. Let's kick the garage doors open because the line is all of a sudden growing out the door. Let's go over and talk to Paul Stanton, Virginia, 87 Bronco 2, and some questions about an ignition switch. Paul, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Yes, hey, Ron. How you doing? Good, sir. What's going on? Uh, okay, well, uh, well, I do have a question about ignition locks, but uh, first of all, uh, I don't know if you got the message on the uh, on dwell and points. 
if the if you need to increase the dwell, you actually uh, decrease the gap. Right, because dwells the amount of time they're right. They're the, closed between rotation. Yep. At the point yep. of close. Yep. 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 Okay. So. Yep. Got it. What's, anyway, your, what's your question uh, today? Yeah, I've yes, got sir. An 87 Bronco too, and probably for about a year now, I've noticed you could actually turn the ignition lock without key to the accessory position and operate the radio and the windows. And that was a convenience. You know, you want the race run without the key. Right. Um, but I was wondering if that's maybe not a good idea to leave it like that because, um, you know, even though you can't. Start the car without the key. It only goes to the accessory position. Um, maybe, uh, maybe there's some reason why. My brother, my brother, uh, suggested that what might happen is that the uh, lock not come back to neutral and uh, keep on uh, giving power to the starter, and that could be a problem. Yeah, so, you know. I don't know. If if this was something where parts weren't available, Paul, you, you know, if it was something really, or if the column had an issue, and then if the column had an issue, I tell you to just get a column. There's easy enough to find one in a salvage yard and swap it out. You know, I get it that it's convenient. You know, no lock, no no key needed to move the lock into accessory. I think your brother-in-law makes a valid point. You know, something that works improperly, but it's a convenience thing. Somehow that always comes around to bite you. And, yeah. you know, when you least expect it, it's going to end up costing you a starter and, and the labor and the aggravation. And, uh, you know, it's we've talked about this truck before, I think. This is the one that had the rear end issues. Yeah, and uh, I wound up having uh, one from a, from a junkyard put in it because it was going to cost an incredible amount of money to uh, right. replace everything, that, all the innards. Yeah, we talked. Uh, that's that's been working well. It's right. We talked about this like a been, year ago. I yeah, I remember so, that. We we talked about this like a year ago, and you know, my my point is that you like this truck and you're going to drive this truck, and I think the more pieces you can gather for this truck to keep it whole and intact, the better off you are, and the better you'll feel about it. So, you know, if if it's a matter of you know being able to flick it back to accessory. To turn on the radio, carry the key with you, stick one in the ashtray if you don't want to. But, you know, I would fix it. I would fix it for the sole reason I would get parts where you can still get parts. And I, I, I yeah. always I always think about that. You know, my, my little shop truck's a 97 Ranger. And, you know, I've been looking for a steering wheel, couldn't find one within reason. Uh, some of the stuff on eBay, people are just crazy, $200, $250 for a steering wheel. So I ordered. Yeah, a, that was going to have an airbag, of course. Right. I don't yeah. Have, I don't right. have that problem. And, and the and the airbag makes it more complicated because evidently it's it's particular only through Rangers like ninety five, six, seven, and eight were particular. The airbag was different than an Explorer those years. So I ended up finding a solution from a company called Wheel Skins, and I ordered a wheel skin for it. And we're going to just put our own leather covering on it. And I always say if I can take the body off the frame of a 55 Chevy and make that work, I'm sure I could restitch a steering wheel. But my point is, you know what? Gather parts while you can. Because once they stop making parts, if you still want to fix it, it costs you a whole lot more to do, and it's that much more difficult. And Yeah, at, I get the parts while they may still be made in USA. Right. Well, and that's, listen, that's the other problem. You know, What you may want to do is there's a place in upstate New York – 
I'm trying to think. Steering Columns Galore, I believe is the name. If you Google search Steering Columns Galore, they are up in, they're about 75 miles north of New York City. I can't recall the town, but I've used them over the years. They make a good product. In, in the in the, in the times that I've used them, we had one problem on, an, on a steering column. They were very good about it. They sent me another one right away, and they actually took the one that they had sent me apart and told me, here's what went wrong. We've corrected it so it doesn't happen again. So, you know, responsibility like that you just can't find in this day and age. But it, it may be cheaper yeah. for you if you have a column problem to replace the column. If it's still available for an 87, I would think it is. Um, because the other issue yeah, is it, if you if you get a salvage yard column for an 87, it's, you know, almost 40, 35 years old, right? Uh, you know, oh, that's, yeah. that's an yeah. issue, too. Yeah, this is going to be 30 very soon. Yeah. So. Uh, but uh, it's probably just the ignition lock itself. I replaced one uh, some years ago on the Crown Vic. And it's a, it's a, it's an easy job, actually. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not um, hard to do. Not hard to do at all. Just sometimes the the column, the housing itself is worn, but you won't know until you take something apart. So take it apart. Let's see what it is. Let's fix it because you know what? You're a car guy, and I know that from talking to you yep. the few times we have over the years. And car guys like everything to work 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 like a watch, as uh, as the yep. car doctor says. All right, sir. Yeah, the valve covers haven't been off the engine yet. It's three hundred thousand miles. Well, that's original, amazing. Uh, original uh, fuel injectors. Original fuel pump. Yeah, that's amazing. So, you know, and I shouldn't say, yeah. I guess it's not that amazing. You know what I think about it? I don't want to jinx myself, but knock wood, the Rangers got 209,000 miles on or 210. Never had the valve covers off it either. So, but uh, yeah. you know what? Yeah, these, these 2.9s are great. Yeah, they just run forever as long as uh, you take care of them. Yeah. Paul, I got to go. The clock's going to grab me. I appreciate the call, sir. Good luck to you. And if you have any other questions, 855 560 9900. You know where to find me. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Speaking of Dead Man's Curve, we uh, looks like we're going to be going back there Labor Day weekend. And I know we're at the beginning of the summer, but uh, rumor has it. And I uh, confirmed that I had breakfast uh, with one of the guys from Dead Man's Curve this past week. And looks like we're going to be going back. They're going to be setting us up in a tent, and uh, we'll be doing a broadcast Labor Day weekend. So we're kind of looking forward to that. Although, let's get through May 1st and uh, enjoy that. Let's enjoy this. Let's go over and talk to Jan from Chisholm, Minnesota, with a 2003 caravan and some issues with how it operates. Jan, welcome to The Car Doctor. How can I help? Yeah, hi. The yes, name sir. is Jan. Jan, I'm sorry. Okay. That's okay. How can I help like you, sir? Yeah, listen, I appreciate anyway, that. Anyway, I have... Okay, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay, I have 2003 Dodge Caravan. It has 212,000 miles on it, and I always good to get of it. Okay. Very good care of it. Well, right now, I've been having a problem that when I come to a stop sign or stop light, my engine dies. It's like I'm not getting any gas. Right. So I brought that to my mechanic, and I added the foam and a little bit higher octane, hoping to clean the engine out. Well, 
That didn't work. So then he changed a fuel filter. Well, a couple of days later, I'm driving, and I'm going 65, 70. All of a sudden, I'm starting to lose power. No matter how much I stepped on a gas, it just didn't go anywhere. What could be causing all of this? Okay. He also checked all the electronics. Everything was fine. All right. Well, here, let's back up. So when you sit there and turn the key on and not start the engine, does the check engine light come on? No, nothing. No lights come on. Nothing. Uh, back but up. It... No, I'll listen to what I said, Jan. When you, when you turn the key to the on position but not start the engine, do you see a check engine light? I just want to know if the bulb is working. Right. Uh, no. If 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 you have a if you have no check engine light at key on engine off the bulb is burned out so then okay. so be sure of that you may not have noticed it it's not something everybody looks at but that's a real simple test you can always do in this case and and the reason I say start there is because before any parts get changed I want to look at the onboard computer in this case because it's an O3 and I can look at data stream. I can look at information while I'm driving. I want to do that. And I want to see what sort of fault codes does the vehicle have. Now, okay. what I'm thinking is that if it truly, let's forget the check engine like part of this question for a minute. What I'm curious is, where is fuel trim? Fuel trim, in, in simple terms, shows a balanced air-fuel mixture. If an engine needs one part air to 14 I'm sorry one part fuel to 14 parts air fuel trim will show whether it's even whether it's actually at that or if it's more air more fuel what is it calling for and that's that's my first request because what you're describing to me is one of three things uh, typically a fuel pressure volume issue although that wouldn't make it stall at idle a map sensor or a map sensor is a sensor on the engine that reports how much load the engine is under so the onboard computer can help deliver proper fuel to the engine via the injectors or three a restricted exhaust system i.e. a clogged catalytic converter the middle ah. one the middle one the map sensor is the most likely of the three. It would give you all three of it would give you all of your symptoms. While a restricted cat wouldn't necessarily make it stall at idle. It would make it stall at idle, but it wouldn't also, if it was that bad, generally it wouldn't let the vehicle accelerate to sixty miles an hour. It would struggle. It wouldn't make sixty. Right. It would struggle to get to thirty and forty. Uh-huh. Uh, if if it is a map sensor related fault, what you typically will see and this is why this is why I asked about the check engine light is is you will develop a trouble code P0108 which is a rich running condition map sensor circuit so one of the simple things he can try if he does have that is tell him to unplug the map sensor the electrical connector and if the engine runs better or if it runs good then we know we're on the right track because without the map sensor there, the engine will, if it's running, you unplug it, the engine will stall, set a fault code, turn the key off, count to five, start the car back up. The engine will go into a default and start substituting its own values to get the vehicle to run. 
and then I'm going to then I'm going to tell them to go through some specific voltage tests. You know, we want to see five volts on the pink yellow. We want to see where does that five volt go when we look at it on data stream and things like that. But okay, I see. I brought the vehicle now to my local Chrysler dealer. Okay, okay right. And I know these guys; they are good and honest. Right. That's in Hibbin, Minnesota. Sure. And so I brought the car over there. So I am going to go over there Monday. Because, you know, they didn't get to it yet, so that's why. I just found your program over here not too long ago in northern Minnesota, so I love to listen to you. Oh, thank you very much, Jan. I appreciate that. And that's why. So I really, really appreciate And because what I'm hoping is to make to 300,000 miles with that van. And and then we'll talk about making it to 400,000 miles, right? And, and okay. why not you keep it going? That much? I believe in you, sir. Why not, sir? Listen, I'll tell you what, Jan, stay on the line. Harry, get Jan's information, and uh, let's send Jan a Car Doctor T-shirt. Welcome him to the nation properly. And uh, we appreciate uh, we appreciate those comments, Jan. We really do. I'm always glad to welcome somebody aboard. Let's do a quick piece of email. This comes to us from Robert Berman. Ron, I want your opinion on 2016 Kia Sorento four-cylinder all-wheel drive. Would the four-cylinder engine provide enough reserve power in an emergency on the highway? I would not be doing any towing. You have an excellent radio program. I wish my local station had your show on every day instead of once per week. I listen in on 980 WCAP Lowell, Mass. Uh, Robert, Kia, Kia is where Hyundai used to be. And I'm sorry to say it like that. I don't mean to insult anybody, but that's just how I think of it. Um, Kia is a good car. And, you know, if you asked me four or five years ago, I wouldn't be telling you that. But I think the Kias are decent Eighty to 100,000-mile vehicles, toss them away. And I'm sure there's a bunch of people out there running around with them going longer. I haven't seen that yet. Uh, you know, I see them as a reasonably inexpensive resource. Um, it is what it is. It's a cheap car. Hyundai used to be like that, and then Hyundai got better, and now they've kind of— Hyundai's actually encroaching Toyota and Honda in a lot of ways and scaring those people, making them look over their shoulders. But um, I wouldn't be afraid of a Kia in terms of, you know, knowing what it is. And I, I think the only way you can answer that question is would it have enough in reserve power? My definition of reserve power and your definition of reserve power are probably two different things. So what I would tell you to do is take it out for a road test. And and always keep in mind, you know, I've got a I've got a two road test visit rule whenever I road test a car. Road test the car at night, road test the car during the day because Cars take on two. They take on different personalities night and day. You know, not just how much power they have, but not that the power changes, but the ability to maneuver and the mobility and and the you know the ease of vision and how you can see and how the dashboard looks at night and everything changes. So take it for a ride. You tell me if you think it's got enough reserve power, and uh, you make that decision from there. Robert, I appreciate the question. I'm Ron Anning, the car doctor. I'm back right after this. The Car Doctor, the phone number is 855-560-9900. Again, the phone number is 855-560-9900. If you are looking to get a car problem solved, give the Car Doctor a call. If we're not here, we are live Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, originating out of New York City. You can call 855-560-9900. We're not here. Leave a message. Fast Harry, our executive producer, we've got a messaging service set up for you. And um, you can leave a message. Fast Harry will call you back and get you up here in queue the next time around. 
So um, we'll go from there. Let's get back to the phones. Let's go and talk to Dennis, Rockville, Maryland, with an 04 Wrangler and uh, some questions about oxygen sensors. Dennis, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hey, Ron, thanks a lot for taking my call. You're I just welcome. want to say that I have learned a lot from listening to you. Um, I am on the Pennsylvania Turnpike right now. Uh, so if the call, and there's some dead spots on here, so I just want to say if the call drops somehow, if you guys could call me back, that would be great. Sure, go ahead. And I hope you're doing this hands free. You are, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I've got an earpiece in. Go ahead. Uh, I, that's, I never drive, uh, holding the phone up to my ear. Cool beans. Go uh, ahead. What do you got, yeah. Dennis? Okay, well, my question is basically about an O2 sensor and how it relates to gas mileage and how it relates to emissions and and eventually catalytic converter so on my 04 uh it is a four liter i bought it used it's got uh, 158,000. i got it i got it for a pretty good price so i realized that you know with a car of that mileage i might have to put you know a thousand dollars or even more in it to get it up to uh how i want it to be but anyway so i was driving on the Pennsylvania Turnpike, and uh, the uh, after I'd only had it for about a week, and the check engine light came on, and my initial reaction, you can imagine, oh crap, um, there's something seriously wrong. Well, I I managed, I went to um, AutoZone or an Advanced Auto. They did a, uh, they read the code and they told me it was the O2 sensor, uh, that it was uh, I, and if I remember correctly, it was. Uh, there are four on this vehicle. It was uh, bank two, sensor two. So that probably means something to you. That doesn't mean all that much to me. But P- P0, anyway, I went, P0, I, Dennis, P0159? I'm sorry, excuse me? Was the fault code P0159? You know, I'm sorry. I can't tell you. I don't remember. Okay, so go ahead. Anyway, it was it was the O2 sensor. I went to... Uh, a new garage that I'm trying out, a, a sort of a mom-and-pop type garage rather than a dealership. But uh, they confirmed that it was that sensor. They replaced the sensor. And in the meantime, they found out that somebody had put a spacer in between the sensor and uh, the exhaust pipe or the manifold or wherever it attaches to. Right. So my question is, why did they put that spacer there, and what is the purpose of the spacer? Okay, great question. The spacer is there. Well, let's talk a little bit about catalytic converters. A catalytic okay. a catalytic converter is designed, it, it does just what its name implies. It is a heat-generated change of state for incoming gases to create non-pollutant outgoing gases. All right? Okay. And one of the things that a catalytic converter do, it will reduce down harmful emissions, just like, you know, the, the info the hype says. It's true. So in order for the onboard computer to know how well the catalytic converter is doing, there's an oxygen, in, in simple language, there's an oxygen sensor in front, there's an oxygen sensor in the back. They look at what comes in, they look at what comes out. They can make a determination. Okay. Is, it, is it doing its job? All right? Yeah. Now, when a catalytic converter gets worn out, a catalytic converter, by definition and design, stores oxygen. An oxygen sensor... If it is not seeing a high concentration of oxygen, will produce a high voltage signal. All right. Okay. So if, for example, if the front O2 is cycling high, low, high, low, high, low, low voltage, high voltage, low voltage, high low, high voltage, 
properly. The onboard computer looks at that, and faster than I'm saying this conversation, much faster than I'm saying this conversation, adjust fuel trim by allowing more fuel or less fuel to flow through the injectors. That's the basics of feedback fuel control. Okay. The, the catalytic converter takes that exhaust that the front O2 has helped generate by controlling injector pulse width or how long it's turned on for, all right, the duration of, and it sends exhaust out the tailpipe. That okay. post-cat, that after-the-catalytic converter O2 sensor, is sitting there going, do-do-do-do-do-do-do, and it's looking at oxygen content. If the catalytic okay. converter is doing its job and storing oxygen molecules so that it can help make the combustion, or I'm sorry, the catalytic changeover to reduce the harmful pollutants into non-harmful pollutants, lack of oxygen in the outgoing exhaust produces... A high voltage signal, right? Okay. And we always remember, low is lean, okay, rich is high, but low lean, the 2L. So if it's if it's low, it's lean, and it's a lot of oxygen, all right? Okay. So we're always looking at a high voltage signal out of the rear O2. Okay. In, in simplest terms, if the front O2 is switching high-low and the rear O2 is switching high-low, what does that mean the catalytic converter is doing? You tell me. I I guess it's doing its job. Well, it's not working. Oh, it's not working. Remember, oh, okay. re- remember what I said. A, a, a catalytic converter stores oxygen. If there's no oxygen or if there's a minimal amount of oxygen coming out the tailpipe, that rear O2 is going to be reading high. That means the cat's doing its job. Okay. Okay? And this is a really neat test. If you ever want to watch it, hook it up on a scan tool, bring up both O2s or all four O2s, whatever, and, and create a vacuum leak. Watch that front O2. I mean, it drops like whoosh, <laughs> all right? Uh-huh. It, it, it drops like a stone. It goes dead lean, and the post-cat O2 typically will also, all right? Yeah. Here's okay. here's my point. Here's the, long, here's the reason for the long-winded explanation, and I realize, but some of this stuff isn't simple. They put a spacer in because they, they had a P0420, or in this case, Bank 2, a P0430 fault code. All right, and putting the spacer in takes the O2 sensor out of the exhaust stream and re- and and weakens its ability to switch high low. They're masking a problem. That's what I thought from my research on the internet. Right. I, that's what I figured. Yeah, they're, they're they're masking a problem. They're also violating federal emissions law and they're pulling a fast one on you, the vehicle buyer, because you know they're telling you, hey, there's nothing wrong and it's it's rigged. Uh, that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. And so so uh, I guess my question, not to cut you off or anything, but my my question is, could this indicate that the catalytic converter is bad? Yes, absolutely. Oh, okay. That's what I was afraid of. Right. <laughs> absolutely. Now, so if I were to take that spacer out, I would get a false code. You I pr- guess probably. Now, and would the false code tell me that the cat is bad? Well, what the fault code's going to do. All right, let's let's assume it's a P0430. All right. So and, and you know a 430 is a fault code as a bad cat on bank 2, a 420 is a bad cat on bank 1. So it's got a 430. That means that the bank 2 catalytic converter doesn't have the ability to store oxygen like it once did. The the the, 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 the layman's explanation is the catalytic converter efficiency, the ability to convert harmful pollutants into non-pollutants is weakened, all right? Okay. They yeah. look They look for 
by the numbers, they look for a 70% difference from in to out. So that, okay. that being said, a catalytic converter is a dumb animal. It really is. You can shove everything down its throat, and it's going to try to swallow everything until it burns itself out or drives 100, 150,000 miles, which is average life cycle. And the reason, okay. I, the reason I say that is that you can get a P420 or a 430 cat efficiency code, and everybody says, oh, it's a cat. But is it or isn't it? It may not be. Certain things can affect cat efficiency. A catalytic converter has to be hot. If the engine thermostat is not proper, and a thermostat that's off by 12 degrees to the wrong lowering engine temperature will affect cat efficiency. Okay? Okay. An engine, All right. an, an engine that burns oil, coating the inside of the catalytic converter and preventing it from absorbing oxygen will yeah. create a problem. So there's a bunch of things to look at. If, okay. If, now, another question I have is would this fact that the spacer is in there, would that cause the uh, mixture to be too rich or too lean, or is that not even a question? Well, it really depends on exactly which fault code occurred. That's why I wanted to know. If it was an O2, oh. se- if it was an O2 activity fault, yes, that spacer could create it. If it was an O2 heater fault, no, it could not. It has no bearing on that. Okay, well, I'm, I'm checking. I'm going to check the the gas mile, as you know, on a this four-liter uh, engine of Chrysler, I mean, it does not get the greatest gas mileage. No, typically, so I'm, typically I'm it's 1516. Right. I'm going to check the gas mileage, and, uh, you know, I think I might go back to my garage and say, take the spacer out, and let's see what happens. Right, right. Um, and, you know, if I have to get a new catalytic converter or... I guess there are two of them on this vehicle. Yeah, and and that's and that's before I let you go, Dennis. Let me point that out. Just because one fails, let's say the one fails, you know, the other one might be borderline. So there's ways oh, right. there's ways to determine that. So at this age and mileage, changing them in pairs with four fresh O twos is probably the best way to go. Oh, so you mean I should change both? If if necessary, I should change both. Right. Cat converters and the four sensors. Right. And the and the two catalytic converters are going to be part of the exhaust manifold assembly, if I remember right, on an 04. And the, the price is probably going to break your $1,000 wish. Oh, oh, well. So just. <laughs> I, mean, just I, I plan to keep this vehicle, drive it till it drops. Right. So I don't mind putting 1000 bucks into yeah, it. But you're going to you're gonna find it. It may exceed that. But go back to your yeah. garage. Let's pull the spacer out. Let's start from there, and then we can talk. All right? Okay, great. Thanks a lot, Ron. You're very welcome, Dennis. Good luck to you, and thanks for uh, being part of the Car Doctor Nation. I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. We are back with our Facebook winner coming up right after this. Attitude. I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor, and I'm here to fix your car at 855-560-9900. Let's quick do our Facebook post. Anthony. Yes, sir. How are you today? Finding yourself. How would you like to do my Facebook readout this Be week? my pleasure. Go ahead. What do you got? Okay. His name is David Gudis. Right. 
He says, Ron, can you mix synthetic oils of the same weight? Can you do an oil change with something like Pennzoil Pure Plus um, 0W20? And if you're down a half a quart or one quart, can you top it off with the same other brand of the same weight? Could you even top it off with another weight or... Or is it mixing these things totally taboo? David, great question. And let's answer it like this. You ever bake a cake? And, you know, you can use, you know, eggs from Pete and Jerry, and you can use eggs from grade A, and they're still eggs. Eggs are eggs. But the cake batter won't be affected. But if you don't put in the right amount of eggs, or if you put in an impure ingredient, it can affect how that cake batter comes out. Oils, similar but different, all right? You can mix brands. You can mix weights. You can mix viscosities, as, as you're asking. It doesn't matter. Weight and viscosity, same thing. The problem is the purity of the blend. And by putting in and mixing viscosities just to top up, you're weakening the viscosity that's in there. Not by a lot, but you are weakening it to a degree. So the best bet is just keep an extra bottle of whatever it is you're looking for around the house. If you're using a Pennzoil Pure Plus 020, if, if your vehicle takes 5 by 6, if your vehicle takes 6 by 7, and you won't have a problem. Oil can stay on a shelf anywhere from 18 to 24 months without having an issue. After that, the industry belief is and the acceptance is that the oil particles the, the combination of material, the ingredients in the oil can fall out of suspension and not be as well mixed and be able to do as efficient a job as it possibly can. So to answer this, you can mix and match. Do I like it? Absolutely not. And it's to your advantage, especially in today's engines, when you're looking at how they're on cutting edge, to use a similar oil. So, you know, your Pennzoil Pure Plus, your example, Pennzoil Pure Plus 0W20, just buy an extra bottle of it, and you'll be just fine. If you want to read more about Pennzoil and their oils and the synthetics, get out to PennzoilSynthetics.com, and you'll be just fine. Let's pull over and take a quick pause. When we return, we'll take our last call of the hour. It'll be John from Lake George, New York. Everybody stay right where you are. I'm back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Andy, the car doctor. Hey, real quick, let me point out the folks at Wix are at it again. Wix is sponsoring the SH Rallycross DPR series. Uh, Wix is going to become the primary sponsor for three races during the 2016 Red Bull Global Rallycross Supercar Championship Series. The number seven SH Racing Ford Fiesta, driven by Jeff Ward, will sport Wix signage in Daytona on June 19th, Seattle on September 17th. And during the final weekend of the season in Los Angeles, we want to say thank you to the folks at Wix Filters for all they do right here to support us and for all they do to support uh, motorsports and the racing scene. We know everybody enjoys it, and uh, we want to give credit to where it's due, wixfilters.com. Let's get over to John, Lake George, New York. Some questions about buying a new truck. John, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hey, Ron. I'm looking to buy a uh, late model uh, Ford pickup, okay. uh, 2013 maybe. Right. And um, I'm, I'm worried about the engine. All right. What's um? What are you going to buy? The F one fifty, the two fifty, what? F one F one fifty. Okay, and, and, and I know there's three three options or four options that year, and of course I'm nervous about the turbo, um, uh, eco eco boost. Right. So, 
You know, there's there's an old expression, John. There's no substitute for cubic inches. And, you know, whether it's the 5.0 or the 6.2, it's the same basic engine family, timing components, variable camshaft timing. You know, it's all it's all pretty much the same. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if it were me, it's a pickup truck. I'm a fan of V8 power. I just am. All right. I don't, you know, fuel economy notwithstanding and the concern for that. I think a V8 powered pickup truck makes more sense if you're going to do any hauling. You're going to be taking a boat in and out of the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. I think it's I think it's V8 power time, and I would, yeah, because there's only a couple miles a couple miles of the gallon difference right between the engine. Anyway. Right, right, and you know the how can I say this? The less complicated, the less hard the engine works, the easier your wallet will like it uh, in the long run. <laughs> Um, so my vote would be take the 5.0 or the 6.2 and uh, work it from there. And um, just know that, yeah, what you trade off in fuel economy now, you're going to be making back in uh, repairs that you don't have to. Thanks, John. Appreciate the call. I'm running in the car, doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya. See ya.